Welcome everyone to episode 12 of From the Stands, the Cool Pick Show. Uh, on today's show, we're very excited to welcome sportscaster Brendan Dunlop to the show. Um, before we do that, though, and until we get uh, Brendan on the show, we would just like to give a shout out to our design team, Matt Creative and Matthew DeCastro, for all their work uh, that they do for the show and all the design work that you see. So if you do need any design work done for yourself or for someone you know, please let us know and we will connect you. And just like that, Brendan is ready to go, so we'll get him on the show and get things rolling. <clears throat> hey, buddy, how are you? I'm good, Matt. How you doing? Good. Loving the beard. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. It's wild. This is something that we don't get to enjoy on television in normal times, so, you know, taking full advantage, uh, although I don't know what I'm doing, and beer, the beard oil game and trimmers are brand new to me, but I've just avoided the trimmers altogether, so... Uh, I saw you shout out design work. If there's any sponsors or shout outs for beard oil, please direct them to me. But. <laughs> I'll make sure. I have a few friends that are in the uh, hairdressing business, so I'll ask them and see if they know of any good ones uh, to get you connected with. Um, it's funny because, like, as you see, I have a pretty full beard too, but like nothing to yours because I cannot stand it any longer than this because otherwise, I just like once I start being able to put my fingers through the beard, I'm like, nah, it's time to cut it. Right. It, it definitely goes through stages. I find that it, it, was, it was more annoying at the beginning. Now I just like curiously want to pull out it all the time. Uh, by the way, my apologies for the dog slurping up the uh, the bowl of water behind me. Uh, usually it's a, it's a two second job, but obviously now he wants to finish the entire bowl because he knows I'm in the middle of doing something to annoyed. Buddy, it's warm outside. It, we're getting to that level. It's the, it's what's happening working from home and doing these from home now. It, it is what it is, right? So it's all good. Yeah. Totally. There's always going to be, you know, some German shepherd or some child that comes crashing into somebody's uh, somebody's Zoom or someone's IG Live at some point. And if not, then are they even really living? I mean, come on. Exactly. <laughs> um, how things been overall with you? Uh, like, obviously, it's a trying time right now, not being on television. But like, how have you been kind of keeping sane with everything that's happening? Yeah, it's been strange. It's also been cyclical too. I find that you know at the beginning, I think a lot of people were were uh, you know feeling the feeling the magnitude of the global crisis and feeling it, the total uncertainty. Then the next month was okay. How do I you know live within this construct? How do I still be creative? How do I still kind of do do some work? Um, and now it's it seems like you know people just really want to get back to normal because the because the weather is is it's clear, right? And with these leagues coming back now, just watch the MLS the MLS tournament draw. Uh, a few moments ago, which was pr pretty exciting. Montreal and, and, and Toronto got paired together in this brand new tournament that MLS is going to do um, kind of as, as a kickstarter to the regular season, which is totally uncertain because uh, because of coronavirus and, and, you know, the way of the world. So I think just kind of trying to go with the flow. And uh, I've, I feel like I've been consuming constantly, which is what I, I guess I usually do normally. But between documentaries and trying to read every uh, article that's posted on The Athletic with stellar journalism, uh, I feel like I've just I've, I've spent it consuming and and try to have a, a little bit of a balance. I'm not really like a gym guy, so I wasn't missing that. But I did buy a bike because uh, I haven't been playing co-ed soccer or men's league hockey uh, for the last three months, so that's kept me a little bit active. But yeah, uh, as most people, I think there are periods where I find it easy to keep sane, and and periods where I definitely I definitely miss the the daily sports consumption. Well, if you ever want to go for a bike ride, I'm out in Whippy. There's a great trail that goes from like Rouge Hill all the way through to Oshawa. It's a lovely little thing down down by the lake, so I'll take you for a tour through that. Awesome, buddy. I've never really explored Durham. I got to be honest, I've never never made much of uh, Durham out there. So I, I, some exploring needs to be done. There you go. 
Um, well, let's just hop into talking about you and your broadcast work. Um, so my first question for you is what was your passion towards wanting to get into broadcast journalism? Yeah, I think I always had a passion for sports. Uh, I got into hockey and, and baseball uh, in the early 90s. My dad was a massive uh, Leafs fan, is a massive Leafs fan and, and Blue Jays fan. Uh, I grew up in Windsor, so right next to Detroit. So I, I actually liked the Tigers. But my access point was the Blue Jays, that they were in the World Series. They were always on television. That wasn't the case in Windsor with the Detroit team. But I did get to listen to the Tigers on the radio all the time. Famed uh, broadcaster was just over my shoulder there, the most expensive bobblehead ever made, uh, Ernie Harwell. I used to fall asleep listening to Ernie Harwell on the radio in the summers. And that was that was really my, my interest into something bigger than just playing, uh, like most Kids I recognized quite early, probably at the age of eight, that I would never be skilled enough to play professional sports. Uh, but I always had this obsession with it. And, and uh, as I grew up, uh, probably around around grade eight, uh, there was an assignment in grade school in grade eight. I realized, you know, uh, we were asked, you know, write what you're going to be when you grow up and, and don't put something grandiose and unrealistic. Like, what could you actually do? And I thought, you know what, I'm going to be working sports in some capacity, be it a, a sports writer like Ray Romano. That was the... the he was on Everybody Loves Raymond, and that was kind of the thought to, wow, this could be a real career. So I wrote eight pages on that uh, on that eighth grade assignment, and I got that, the teacher came over to hand it back to me upside down. She said, this was the best one by far. I flip it over, B minus. B minus. How is it a B minus if it's the best one? Well, I asked you to write one page, and you wrote me eight. Uh, but I knew pretty much from that moment that pursuing sports journalism in some capacity and sports media in, in, in some realm was uh, was definitely the only thing I wanted to do. So I was fortunate in that sense to have a focus and have that goal early on. And, and I'm very fortunate as my career has gone on. Yeah. See, you got to save those eight pagers for when you get into high school and college where they actually like take the more time to read through stuff. Like no discredit to elementary school teachers, but I mean, I, I was in the same boat. I think I wrote like a four page paper and they're like, this was good. Just like next time, like, you know, one, one page, like, but, uh, <laughs> Speaking of uh, Ray Romano and Everybody Loves Raymond, um, you got your passion to be on TV from that show. What was that connection? Like, how did that connection start for you? What was it like? Yeah, well, I think it was particularly to that assignment. It was uh, that, that assignment, Mrs. Makich, it was like the first week of eighth grade, which in, in Ontario, at least where I grew up, it's, it's your last year before going to high school. Um, so, and this was, she was an older teacher and she just said, I want you to write a one page uh, essay on, on, you know, what you want to be when you grow up. And she kind of pulled the whole class before we did this assignment. I said, oh, I'm going to be an actor. She said, oh, that's great. Are you going to do plays at the big, like, Windsor Theater? Like, no, I'm not going to do plays. I'm going to do movies in Hollywood. I'm going to move to L.A. and I'm going to make millions. She said, yeah, that's great. I don't really know you, but I feel like I know you well enough to know you have other passions. Don't write uh, your assignment on being an actor. I want you to write something else. So I was like, who does Mrs. Mickich think she is? What? I could be an actor like George Clooney. I mean, I got the grades now, but I'm going to be an Who is she to tell me I can't be an actor? So that was basically it. And I sat down after dinner watching Everybody Loves Raymond, which was kind of just a pastime for uh, my mother and my brother and I. And um, he was a, a traveling reporter for the Knicks. And I was like, oh, that would be that would be great. I, I'm obsessed with sports. I'm not allowed to be an actor. So why don't I just cover sports in some capacity? So that was the tie into Everybody Loves Raymond. I think he, he planted the seed. Uh, I also have been a have been a big New York Knicks fan since uh, the Patrick Ewing days and the run to the finals, the challenges with the Bulls in the, in the mid nineties. Uh, so that was that probably synced the two together. Uh, but I, I I do think that it, it still may have happened my pursuit of sports journalism, if not for Everybody Loves Raymond. 
But that's definitely the sticking point because of that Mrs. Mika just Simon in grade eight. So it's all because of her. That's it. <laughs> she was the kickstarter for you she was definitely she was definitely the lighter fluid absolutely yeah. <laughs> speaking of the bulls have you had a chance uh, i'm sure by now you've had a chance but did you watch the michael jordan documentary uh the last dance i did of course man i absolutely loved it the only thing that that i wish i could have taken part in with the consumption of the last dance was to share it live and to be you know watching it and be able to tweet live about it which uh that wasn't the case i know some people in canada uh, found found ways to watch it at nine o'clock when it was on uh, at ESPN, but for those of us that had to wait till three a.m. to watch it on Netflix, uh, I didn't miss that element of it. However, the documentary was absolutely incredible. I mean, my introduction to sports, my first sports icon, first athlete that I that I loved was Michael Jordan. So I, I had much anticipated that and was very happy to hear that ESPN had moved that up um, from the summer to uh, play it in April when they when they ran it, and uh, it was great. I mean. I expected it to be a controlled narrative. I expected there to be criticisms. I expected Jordan to, you know, get the message across that, that he wanted to. And let's be honest, he's entitled to that. He's, you know, he, he granted the access uh, at the time in the 90s. He's granted the access now. Uh, he doesn't have to share any of that. So if, you know, he, he put his hands on it to control the narrative in a certain way, I, I got to give him credit. I, I th He touched on topics I didn't think that he would. Um, I didn't think that he'd go into his dad in the depth that he did. I didn't think that he'd talk about the allegations of his gambling issues and the tie-in and that. So to be honest, to me, it was it was far more well-rounded, I think, than than a lot of people criticized and that I personally anticipated. And I, But I wasn't there for, you know, a, a journalistic historical anthology. I was there to be entertained. And so all that was bonus. So for me, just to, to you know sit down and, and go down nostalgia lane, and uh, absorb all that again and then watch how you know many people younger than me or older than me that maybe weren't into basketball at that time um enjoy that and, and watch them digest that and, and really come away with a sense of michael jordan was just incredible and you know, i wish i could go back to those those uh, that time in the mid 90s um that was pretty cool overall for sure the most one of the most interesting or like top five points of that whole documentary for me was the part when they're talking he's talking about he's in the hotel room and there's nothing open for food and they order from the pizza joint that's like across the street and there's five guys that come in to deliver his pizza it's like how stupid could you be that if you're gonna try and do something to mj that there's five of you coming to do this like what were you really expecting yeah seriously and there's a couple of things a couple of real good takeaways and, and moments stories that you may have heard before but you forgot about um, like the Dennis Rodman story in Vegas, the biggest vacation in the middle of the season, uh, his brief marriage to Carmen Electra. Just wa watching everyone dissect Dennis Rodman then and then do it again now, uh, I got a real kick out of that. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, it was definitely, like you said, it was a top documentary and it was really well done. Um, going back to you, though, um, or transitioning to that. So you started your career... Uh, on the score with the footy show, what was it like for you to start your career in professional sports on the network? Yeah, it was incredible. I mean, I was very fortunate to do it at a national network and very fortunate to do it there at the score. It truly was the most incredible and, and unique experience, um, you know, that compared to what I've seen since the score and the stories I hear from other people, certainly stories from friends in the States. Um, the New York, uh, the score, excuse me, really, really stood out. It really, it really was uh, cut from a different cloth in, in every facet. So I started there after my second year in university in the archives department. And it was such a intimate environment that 
while I was literally the bottom of the of the food chain, if you will, I got to interact with everybody that was there from Greg Sansoni, who um, not long after I, I got in there had gone from from being one of the lead anchors to being one of the lead executives um, to Tim and Sid, Cavi, Adnan. You were so close in proximity that you it was impossible not to have interactions and exchanges with these guys who I was always picking their brain and probably annoying them, to be honest, asking them questions, looking to just gain knowledge and information and ex- exposure and experience to eventually move up, uh, to which I did. And uh, there was a radio station that they had on Sirius Satellite Radio called Hardcore Sports Radio. So I started doing updates, weekend updates at 20. That was my first on-air job, first on-air experience. And then started hosting a soccer radio show with James Sharman and Christian Jack, who were the, the two faces of the footy show at the time. And then that's how I got on the footy show on TV uh, shortly after. I was the, the interactive host, the, the Twitter guy, essentially. I would read tweets um, and, and audience engagement into the show. So, yeah, that evolution then took me to the desk at, uh, at Sportsnet and the Fox Soccer News. But the score really was uh, such, a, such a cool time where you were really encouraged to just try things and, and, and be creative. And that creativity was, was hugely rewarded. Um, that's how these, these shows happen. That's how the, the evolution of uh, going from the weekend update booth to, to hosting a, a soccer show with these two guys. And then I built a relationship with them. They invited me onto the TV show. Then I started doing the desk elsewhere and, and did it with James at, uh, at Fox and, and Sportsnet for, for a brief time there while that was going on. So to watch the evolution of that, um, you know, a, a ton of credit um, goes to the score for that. It, uh, I, I wouldn't have had. Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't have had anywhere near the experiences I've had if it wasn't for those early early days of the score, which I'm very grateful for, man. Now, obviously, we know how much of a transition the score has gone through over the years. What was that transition like for you personally? Yeah, well, I, I left the score just before the purchase from Rogers, just before Sportsnet bought the score, actually. So I didn't, I wasn't really present for kind of any of that. Um, watching, you know, some of the big names and some of the big talents leave the score definitely changed the landscape while I was still there. Uh, first Cabby, then uh, Tim and Sid. Uh, Adnan actually may have been the first one before Cabby. Um, so, yeah, wa- watching the, the, the station change there uh, before Rogers came in and made the purchase, already being at Sportsnet, um, seeing how they integrated some phenomenal people from the score in, into the Sportsnet environment uh, really elevated Sportsnet's level. And I was super happy to you know go from leaving a place, uh, really, which was a few months ago. Okay, guys, it's great working with you, but I won't work with you again. And six months later, they're in the same, we're in the same building, uh, now doing an even, even bigger, grander scale project. So, uh, that was, that was really interesting. That was cool. And uh, I think that you still have a lot of that score DNA in, in a lot of what, uh, is on Sportsman 360, obviously with the wrestling, with the highlights and the wheel and that, and, and a lot of those guys that have had great opportunities because they were able to kind of do both of the score or, or try and recreate uh, what happened at the score in the, in the highlight packs. That's uh, that's definitely evident, evident when I watch the highlights and see the highlights when I work there. Yeah, the, it's funny how like a, how much of a small world sports is or the sport industry is because, like you said, it's like, all right, guys, great working with you. See you never. And like six months later, oh, oh hey, guys, how are you? Right? And, yeah. uh, it's just, it's you never know where you're going to go or who you're going to see down the road. It really is such a small world. I mean, yeah, I've got a lot of friends at, at TSN that I worked with at the score or that I, I know from events and that, or end up, I, I started playing co-ed league soccer with uh, Matthew Shinetti because we met at some Raptors practice one time and he had, had a Manchester United tattoo, which I spotted immediately like, oh, really? I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, a diehard fan. Oh, great. Do you play? Come out of my team. Um, so yeah, it really is a, it really is a, a, a small circle and, uh, and you never know who, who you're going to run into again uh, down the line. 
Now, talking about all the people that you mentioned, Cabby, Tim Sid, um, plus the countless others that you worked with uh, growing through the score into Sportsnet to where you are today, who's been one of your biggest mentors for you kind of growing in the industry? Yeah, I've been really fortunate that a lot of those guys shared some valuable advice that they didn't have to. Um, some were, you know, a little more silent than others, uh, but spoke up when they, when they felt that I needed to hear it. And just the fact that they were willing to. Uh, Tim McAuliffe is, is someone who I never really worked with directly at all. There was there was never an environment where we were a part of the same show or on the same thing. Uh, but he saw me hustling. He knew that I was working. So if there was something that uh, I needed to be told, you know, he was happy to come and, and give me some direction. And I was very thankful and very grateful for that. Um, I worked very closely with James Sharman. So he is my absolute mentor. If it wasn't for James Sharman, I, I may have left the industry to go teach English in Korea. Uh, in 2009, I had a buddy doing that. And I thought, you know what? I'm, I'm struggling here. I'm working three and a half part-time jobs, all of the score. I'm struggling for money. I don't know if I'm going to get a chance to, to join them on TV. Maybe I should go and do something else. And he said, look, keep with it. Stay focused. It's not... It's not about the money. You know, the, the money will come. It might not come anytime soon, but the money will come eventually if you just keep working hard at it. So so uh, stay focused and keep working. And he gave me the opportunity to be on television with them to the, do the footy show. So to uh, make the make the jump from radio to TV is, is a rare thing and difficult at times. So if it wasn't for James, that, that may not have happened uh, anytime soon. So I was very, very thankful to always have uh, James Sharman in my corner and then to have some time with him at Sportsnet. And we did Stalker Central and Fox Stalker News for about six months to a year, uh, that was that was pretty special. Those are uh, definitely the, some of the highlight days of my career, for sure. Well, as much as it's good that you decide to stick it out and yeah, well, you're living out your, your dream and your, your kind of thoughts of being a broadcaster uh, or a sportscaster, um, I have to say, Korea, teaching uh, teaching out in Korea isn't too bad. My, a friend of mine is out, uh, was out doing that. He just came, obviously came back because of COVID. Um, yeah. But he was having a blast out there doing that. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's always interesting where you're unsure where a path may take you. And then, obviously, like you said, it eventually leads to, to good and, and happiness to a degree, right? Yeah, totally, totally. I, I do think about that a lot sometimes. My buddy had gone there and thought it was, you know, a couple of years after university, to be honest, it may not even have been two years after I graduated, but I'd already been at the score for three years. So I felt like, well, as much of a, a break as it might be, or as young as I, I may have felt, that was my, my buddy's argument. It's like, well, you can just come back and get on the sports ladder. Uh, I didn't think that uh, that would be possible. So I'm glad that I, that I didn't make that jump. And I just went to visit him in, in Korea for two weeks instead. That was a pretty good trade-off. I just I did the vacation instead of the full career move. Nice. Um, when talking about soccer and like being part of the footy show, doing so much on TV in relation to soccer, what's your passion towards soccer versus another sport like hockey, football? Um, growing up in Windsor, again, you're, you're kind of just uh, near Detroit. Uh, sorry, the Detroit Red Wings, and then you're down the road from the Maple Leafs, things like that. What was your passion towards soccer? Yeah, good question. Uh, I started playing soccer maybe at six or seven, I think. And the USA 94, the World Cup in the United States, was was the biggest deal, obviously. Uh, my dad had always got me into, steered me towards sports. Um, that was very, very much our shared interest from really from the beginning. So I understood the, the magnitude and the importance of, of the World Cup, I could see to him well, what a big deal it was that the World Cup was going to be, you know, a handful of games, literally a 45-minute drive away from where we live, how, how unique and interesting that was, but also at the same time how exotic soccer was in comparison to some of the other sports. The fact that, you know, matches weren't on 
and available all the time. Uh, the Premier League wasn't on weekly, certainly wasn't online. You might be able to get a few La Liga or Serie A matches, but you were watching them in Italian or in Spanish, or you were watching soccer in French. So the access to it wasn't wasn't the same. If you were able to find it, and you know, I very quickly uh, fell in love with the, the beauty of soccer and recognized it as a beautiful game. I think I just I just loved that it was something you had to work for. It was a, it was a uh, a sport that you had to work for to be able to enjoy and and, and you know develop a passion for. So it was definitely definitely that played a big factor. Um, and the fact that again you had to wait in two years for kind of a big tournament before it was it was on your television every day. Um, those those months, uh, Euro '96 and then the World Cup in '94, and then the World Cup again in '98. Those were some of the best months of my childhood, where it was just you know completely immersed in in high level, top quality international soccer for for 32 days. Um, so yeah, it kind of came from that. It, not not being as common, not being as as popular. Uh, that was a real draw to me. That was a, that was a real appeal. Cool. Um, yeah, I'm see. I'm like that, but I'm with like that with baseball. Baseball is like my. I play it. I live it. I just will go to multiple Jays games a year, and um, obviously, it's a little bit more popular than um, than like what the soccer aspect is. But soccer is definitely coming up and getting the fan base that it does deserve now. It really is. It is evolving. Yeah, it's and it's been great to see. I mean, there's a, a lot of roadblocks. There's some things that I really wish would, would could be done better for soccer. Um, the fact that that the Premier League and the Champions League is not on television, uh, I understand for you know broadcast purchasing rights and and DAZN uh, DAZN won the bid and, and the right to to kind of do what they want with it. But it is really unfortunate and a setback for the game that it's it's not as accessible. Um, there are times where I feel like you know soccer was more accessible ten years ago. Um, than it is now, and I think that that's for a game that that needs momentum, uh, needs to hang on to good momentum to continue to keep growing. Uh, I'd love to see more more games on television. So kind of disappointing that for the time being, uh, two of the best club leagues in the world we don't we don't get to see. But who knows? That, that may change in the, in the near future. Fingers crossed it does. Um, now, out of all the um, like you you mentioned all the different uh, people that you worked with and you got mentors from, but has there been an athlete? that you've been able to chat with throughout your career that kind of stands out for you as your favorite interviewer, your favorite chat with? I've been pretty lucky to work with some great ex-athletes um, and been become friends with. Uh, Danny Vicchio and Craig Forrest are, were, you know, were two fantastic players and, and achieved a lot in their careers and then uh, were able to transition into television and be very successful and very talented television professionals, which is very difficult to do for ex-athletes. Uh, and those two guys are just exceptional human beings. So. I really enjoyed hearing their stories and just say, you know, have a drink with them and get to know them was, uh, was really cool uh, for the few years that, that I was able to do that at, uh, at Sportsnet with them. Um, one day doing Central, we had a, it was, I forget if it was the, the end of the season or, or the start of the playoffs. And it was rare that we were, were in the Central studio to have a hockey analyst join us on the show for a few minutes. Usually we would do a double ender. They were in a different studio or they would kind of do their own package. And I had just been doing Central maybe six months. I don't think it was a year. And it was Denny Potvin, who I knew was a legend, but I never saw play. I, I didn't really, you know, um, have much of a connection to beyond knowing how how uh, excellent of a player he was and, and seeing him as a, as a great uh, broadcaster and a great storyteller. And when he came into the studio and I shook his hand and he shook my elbow because he has the biggest hands I've ever seen. Uh, and then sitting next to the desk with him, that was the first time where I, I felt nerves I, I felt a bit starstruck and i was like 
uh, a little sweaty probably. And I, I did, couldn't, uh, uh, I didn't anticipate that. I was, I was a bit surprised that that was my reaction, but he was fantastic to work with a true pro and, uh, and such a good guy to talk to off air too. So yeah, that Denny Popman story definitely stands out to me as far as, um, the rare starstruck moments that I've had in my career. Now talking about hockey careers and hockey moments, uh, you, you've played in the Eric Lindros celebrity hockey classic in the past out in my neck of the woods out here in Whitby. Um, and in that, you got to play with a close friend of yours in Ken Reed. Um, what's it like playing with Ken Reed on the ice with mixed in with all of these hockey greats? Ken Reed is such a serious player. Uh, you should know this by how serious he is about hockey cards and how serious of a person he is and how serious he can be on air when he's talking about hockey or anything to do with the East Coast. Um, so then put that into you know a 20 minute intense period or a, a 30 minute um, charity game, which is probably how we were playing. And, and you really get just high level, super intensity Ken Reed flying around in his old Gretzky style Jopa, no face mask or cage. He's the only reckless on air personality that's not worried about his face when he's playing hockey. And he's, uh, you know, he's, he's, he might not be swearing up a storm, but he's got real good hockey talk. Uh, he loves to have the, the mouthpiece hang out of his mouth. Uh, flying up the ice, um, he's, he's a real cool guy to play with. I think he gets more of a kick out of the, just the vintage equipment that he gets to roll out than than uh, being around some of these some of the ex players that we're able to be around in these tournaments. But it's always a lot of fun, and Eric Ledros really does a great job for Easter Seals. It really is an exceptional tournament that I've been really fortunate uh, three or four years to play with him and and Steve Dangle. And Steve Dangle has uh, taken over the running of the team actually, and is a, a massive uh, fundraiser. Uh, uh, has been able to raise a lot of funds um, through his his YouTube work and that for Easter Seals. So it's been really cool to be a part of that. I've been I've been lucky to to play along uh, alongside guys like Dennis Marouk and uh, Doug Gilmore wasn't on my team, but I've been playing against him. And he and I had a couple of good chats, which was really really cool. That was definitely a pinch me moment. Like, you know, wow, Doug Gilmore is enjoying a conversation with me. Uh, Steve Thomas, Nick Antropov, a few of those guys. It was uh, it was really cool. I, I miss that. Uh, hopefully, we get to do that tournament again in November. It would be, it'd be very disappointing if we, uh, if we weren't able to. But we'll, I guess we'll just see the way of the world and how it's spinning come November. Yeah, it's definitely, like I said at the top of the show, it's definitely an interesting time that we're in with all these sports originally being canceled. But the good sign is that you, you have the NBA, the NHL, they're making their plans, they're coming back. I mean, uh, MLB even, I think I read a uh, thing saying that they were looking at a July 10th start date. Um, what, now, to figure out how many games they're going to play in the season is still to be determined, but at least they're making those strides to be able to come back and get things rolling. Yeah, Major League Baseball has, has really struggled uh, to get on the same page for sure, and uh, I think that they've got a long road ahead of them to to work out the best plan but you know as long as they can come up with a plan that the, the players feel is at least fair enough for them and uh, a situation in which they're they're willing to go out and play then um you know i'm all for it i miss baseball i'm, I'm a big baseball baseball guy i think there's a, a couple of balls you'll notice there's actually no blue jays uh memorabilia on my on my wall back here but but uh but i do i much love for the blue jays man I, i'm very much i'm looking forward to going down to rogers Center to enjoy a ball game sometime in the near future but Hopefully sooner rather than later. I think the I think the NHL has probably the best the best plan. I think the NBA, if the NBA is able to ex, still execute the plan, um, seems as though they, they might have an issue with some players not wanting to go, and there might be some some dissent in the ranks. So that that would be really unfortunate for the NBA. Uh, but again, you know that they the leagues 
have a responsibility to their players to show that they're taking care of them and and trying to put out the the you know the the best product in the safest way, uh, preserving and protecting the players. And uh, if they can do that, then I think we'll get a great product down there. Now, my last question for you is: You've gone through so many transitions with the score, and now where you, with the footage shown where you're at now, what kind of advice would you give to someone that may be watching that wants to get into broadcasting but may not know how to start? Like they know they have to go to school, but they don't know kind of who to talk to or or how to get their foot in the door. What advice would you give them? Yeah, I always say, and this now more so than ever, I think rings true: is that you you have to always be willing to create content. And that's not just to you know put something out there. That's not to get likes, not to get clicks. And it certainly shouldn't be with the focus of I need to develop my own brand. I say that because you need to develop a skill set. You need to develop work habits. You need to develop, uh, find bad habits uh, so that you can correct. And that only comes with repetition and experience. And so if you're waiting for the full-time job and the opportunity to do that on the score or Sportsnet or, or what, you, you can't make mistakes at that level. So you have to find ways to be able to get some type of experience to prepare you uh, for a moment where you're you're in that uh, at that level and on that stage and you know not making the mistakes so I think right now you know it's, it's a great time with with YouTube series and with podcasts that these IG lives have been great in lockdown for sure uh, there's lots of ways to practice being at that level that you want to be at and that's definitely something that that I did um, and didn't didn't you know, have the technology or the the opportunity to do to the same extent now when I was in my late teens and, and early twenties. So I always say that to, to students. That, you know, you're it's a combination of consuming and researching. You should always be uh, you know, st- studying sports. That's another thing. Is it switching your brain from being a fan that I'm I'm consuming this because I enjoy it because I'm a fan, and then consuming it in a way that you can use for your job that you can use. For reporting, that you compartmentalize things that in the moment may not seem uh, that big, but then when you're having a conversation with a Denny Potvin and you remember that you read about this game in '83 where the ice melted at Nassau and they played the game four hours later, all of a sudden that's a great nugget and a great story that uh, you can have and you can share. So uh, that comes from experience. That just comes from constantly consuming and reading and watching, and then you know, you find ways where you actually get to use that in your work. So. Uh, I do say that all the time. Always, always be active. Um, you know, certainly don't burn yourself out. You'll never learn. You'll never know everything. I always, James Sharman told me that, uh, and that rings so true. Uh, you'll never be able to watch every single game. You'll never be able to read every article and to to have every answer. Uh, but the more you watch, read, and consume, the more answers you will have, and the more well-rounded that that you will be in in pursuit of what you're doing. So it it really is about finding a balance, which uh, just comes from trying it just comes from from um, having cyclical periods where you're very intense and then moments where you slack off a little bit and you get back on the wagon and kind of find whatever the best balance is it really is similar to a professional career in the sense of so much work is involved outside of what you just see on game day outside of the one hour that you see on central you know there, there i may only be in the studio for 20 hours a week maybe uh, but i'm doing 60 hours a week worth of work you know minimum if, if i'm not doing that um, that's not good enough in my personal standard. So, uh, finding, definitely finding that, that off the field balance, uh, is, is key. Um, but, but being able to, to practice and experiment is, is huge. And we've never had a better opportunity than now to be able to do that. Thanks to technology. Hard work, determination, they all clump together and that's the goal, right? Absolutely. Right.
thank you, Brendan, for taking the time, the words of wisdom. Uh, hopefully someone uh, will be able to use those in their future career. Um, and I thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Uh, it was a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Yeah, man, it was great. Thanks for giving me a shout. And thanks for sharing these stories, man. It's been very cool to see some other guys on here, too, uh, you know, share some wisdom and then some great stories because uh, everybody's got them. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Thanks, and we'll chat soon. Cheers. Have a good one. You too. Bye.